Hi, everybody. This is Shane Neal. I'm the Outreach Coordinator with the Kansas Forest Service, and you are listening to Episode 6 of the Kansas Forest Service Podcast. Today, we have Roger Wells and Howard Freakson on the podcast with us. Guys, thanks for agreeing to join us today. Thank you for having us. Uh, for a little background, uh, Roger is a dedicated conservationist and owner of Wells Wildlife Consultants located outside of Americas. And actually that uh, kind of history is how I came to know Roger when he volunteered with me uh, as an advocate for the Water Quality Advocate Network. And what you'll find is that's kind of typical of Roger volunteering and being involved in all kinds of conservation. And Howard is the Rural District uh, Forester for District 3 in the Kansas Forest Service. And he covers eight counties in east central part of the, the state of Kansas. Uh, he brings with him diverse experiences prior to joining and during his tenure with KFS. And we hope to kind of um, tap into some of those expertise and some of those experiences uh, throughout this podcast. So to get started, um, Roger, Howard, uh, tell us how you guys started working together. Well, uh, on my side, and I'm not even sure if if Howard was involved in the first projects that we did here. Uh, in 1985 and 86, my wife and I purchased this little farm about 12 miles north of uh, Emporia. And uh, very shortly after that, we uh, decided we needed to do some uh, forestry improvement and the creek that goes through here. And so we, uh, we found out about a cost share program that was available. And to Howard, I'm not sure, did you design that first project for us? And it's been 22 years, I believe. No, I was, uh, I was working for the U.S. Forest Service 20 years ago. So okay. I've just been with the Forest Service about six years now. Okay, well, I'm not sure who it was, but we had a forester. Uh, I mean, that's been so long ago. <laughs> we had a forester design a project for us where we went into this um, Old Creek area, riparian area. And um, there was very, very few trees of value, a few walnuts, uh, mostly uh, Osage orange and honey locusts and uh, various other things of low value. So we uh, cleared that out and planted. And then here in, in the recent years, uh, my daughter and son-in-law and my wife and I had the opportunity to uh, purchase uh, a half section that adjoins us to the West. And we, again, needed to do some uh, timber stand improvement. So we got a hold of Howard about two or three years ago, three years ago now, I believe, and uh, designed a project and went from there. And it's kind of been growing <laughs> since, to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah we, keep, we keep adding on more and more things. We started off with the uh, timber stand improvement thinning over on your, your daughter's son-in-law's place. Uh, and you had already, I believe, planted some oaks in there. And what was of most concern was getting the uh, overstory off those seedlings so that they could survive. And uh, I think uh, 
I think he did a good job on it. I think they're still doing really well. Last I saw them, is that right? Yes, yeah, they're doing fine. And uh, you're right, Howard. And then from there, we expanded and uh, took on a, a project here uh, in the middle of our farm where an area again that was Osage orange and honey locust uh, cleared that out and uh, had the opportunity to get some cost share assistance. And we hired uh, Ryan Nysis and Ecotone Forestry to do the, the legwork. I mean, I'm retired now and I, I knew that it was more than I wanted to handle. And so they, they did the plantings and um, you know, clearing out around the trees and, and such. And then we, again, if this is the third growing season for some that we planted the riparian buffer, something like 800 feet long and four rows wide along Allen Creek in an area that consistently flooded. And uh, that has done very well. So that's one of the things you'll definitely see with uh, management plans. Forestry's um, kind of a in wildlife management and habitat management is a long-term process. And you know, you you hear a lot of what Roger's talking about um, about the history and then kind of evolving projects. Um, Howard, when you write these management plans, is that kind of typical when you write these plans um, for long-term? And then how do you support those uh, those landowners throughout the years? Well, the management plans are usually good for 10 years. So when I visit a uh, landowner and see what they have, I try to recommend everything that could be done, uh, not just what they had intended for me to look at, such as a uh, forest stand improvement thinning, but I try and look at what planting or um, uh, other work that might be helpful for water quality or um, timber quality uh, improvement as well. A lot of the stuff we do is for wildlife, is, some is for commercial timber and some is for uh, water quality, but uh, Roger's um, kind of doing a multi-purpose uh, plan where he's trying to improve his woodland as much as he can. Yeah, and actually all those just kind of unique and diverse projects are um, what we really tuned into. We awarded Roger the Agroforestry Award in 2019. He was going to be the host of the Agroforestry Field Day this year, which has now been moved to next year. But we really wanted to highlight some of those unique projects and some of those projects that you guys have been working on. I know you've kind of touched on some of this, Roger, but um, what are some of these other projects or you know unique things that you've uh, done on your land or different practices you're using on to implementing the farm and working with your contractor? Oh, yeah, we've done lots of different kinds of things. Uh, and in fact, some of them don't even involve forestry type work. Um, Allen Creek goes through a portion of our farm and Allen, is, Allen Creek is a major uh, tributary off of the Neosho River. Uh, it comes through a portion of the uh, west part of our farm. And there is an area there where the creek tries to make two 90 degree turns uh, within a short distance. And as you know, water doesn't like to do that kind of thing. 
And so we were having some pretty bad bank erosion. And so um, working with another entity, we did some stream bank stabilization in that area and um, to try to you know, prevent the erosion of the banks. And that brought along and kind of concurrent with then the riparian buffer of uh, four rows wide, 800 feet long uh, in that same area where the, the creek was trying to make those two 90 degree angles. And then this spring, actually it started about a year ago, we started working with Howard again. There's a little one acre area there that when the creek gets out, it floods it all the time. I mean, water washes out across our place and onto the neighbor and it's a, uh, a flood prone site all the time. And at one time we tried to plant it to, um, you know, food plot for deer or something like that. Well, we decided let's just turn that back to forest. Historically, it was probably a forest, had been cleared for agriculture. And so this spring we planted another 250 mixed oaks, walnuts, pecans, native fruits and such. And, uh, they're doing quite well right now. Uh, we, some of them, in fact, Howard, I was down there just a couple days ago, uh, looking at them and doing some weed control. Some of the walnuts are topping the five foot tubes now, just from this spring planting. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. That so that, amazing. Uh, that, that was uh, the latest project it was this, taking this little one acre spot that always gets flooded and just saying, okay, let's don't fight it. Let's just plant it back to uh, forest land. So we have some good soils in that location. So uh, I think the trees would do very well as long as they don't stay flooded too long. No, that site doesn't stay wet. Uh, it, in fact, it drains away pretty quickly, uh, but it just, it floods often when Allen Creek gets out, uh, and it is, like I said, it is a major, a major tributary of, of Neosho, and, and so it does flood quite often. And interestingly, Howard, I'm not sure I told you, but there was a time this spring that right after we had planted, the creek got out and flooded that site. And I went down there a couple weeks later and I was riding down on my ATV and about you know a couple hundred yards away and i'm looking down at this site which is you know down the hill along the creek i said oh my gosh it's all white what in the world is going on and so i drove down there and it was a coating a one eight inch thick coating of silt that had been collected there and deposited by the creek so i thought oh it's doing its job <laughs> yeah it had it had cleaned the, cleaned the water and deposited, added me some topsoil a little bit and, uh, and then- It's already working. Already working, yeah. I thought, well, that's cool. <laughs> so, it is very cool. So I good to see that process in action. I know with you, Roger, you're always kind of looking for just little opportunities of, you know, ways to improve, maybe ways to bring things back to natural, just creating habitat. Howard, just kind of based on your experiences, 
what types of practices are Rod, is Roger doing that are kind of typical that you see from a lot of your experience in Kansas? And then what are some of the atypical things that you're seeing um, that he's kind of different practices um, from that area? Well, the most typical ones are the uh, four stand improvement thinnings. So we try to um, release the uh, more desirable mass species, the ones that used to be more prominent in the woodlands when uh, uh, wildfires were free to burn through the woods. Um, since we settled the uh, territory, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we do fire suppression, so it doesn't burn through the woods uh, as often or even at all. Uh, and our thin bark, more shade tolerant species have become more prominent, and they tend to shade out our more desirable mass species, our oak, walnut, hickories, pecans. So we're losing that, that nut component, the mass trees. Uh, losing those out of our woodlands. So the most common practice that we're doing is trying to uh, reduce the amount of hackberries, elms, uh, honey locust trees that normally are not so predominant in our woodlands um, because the wildfires, the prairie fires used to keep them knocked back. Uh, and, and Rogers, uh, you know, some good examples of that in his in his uh, uh, work that he's done. Uh, the other thing we do quite a bit of is the riparian forest buffer plantings, uh, like the one Roger was telling you about, where the woodland is very narrow or non-existent along the the creeks because they've been um, encroached on by by agriculture, uh, either for cropland or even increasing pasture land. And when uh, a lot of the landowners see their stream banks destabilizing and eating away, um, they realize that those forested areas along the stream actually uh, held the uh, stream banks together a lot longer than sometimes with a grass buffer or even nothing. So that's the second thing we do quite a bit of. Yeah, and we definitely are hoping next spring we can get out and see some of those projects as we go out to Roger's place for the agroforestry day. And, you know, I, I think what I hear a lot of what you guys are saying is this is a lot of work. It's, I know, Roger, one point you talked about just, you know, taking thousands of gallons to keep your little seedlings alive. So why is this work important to you? Why is it work worth putting in all this work? Well, yeah, for a lot, for a lot of reasons. First of all, if you're going to be a good steward of the land, it's just the right thing to do. Uh, t taking care of the, of the woodlots and forests and for, for myself as a wildlife conservationist, I wanted to do it for wildlife benefits. Uh, you know, we're really not looking at um, a timber crop selling lumber or anything. In fact, the tract of land that my daughter and son-in-law uh, purchased, uh, I doubt if there'll ever be a tree harvested off of it. Uh, they, uh, they have no inclination that way at all. So 
for our purposes, it's really not that, but it's just to improve the wildlife habitat, uh, deer, turkey, squirrels, and, and such, you know, forest wildlife, and uh, just to replace the forests that were probably there historically or should have been there historically and as a, just a part of, you know, good land management to, to take care of the land. Howard, you've had a career at this too, so what inspires you to continue to do this work? I've always, ever since I was a kid, I've enjoyed being out in the woodlands, the Whistlers. Not that much of in Kansas, uh, but where I grew up, um, close to the Osho River, uh, that's where the woodlands are probably um, more expansive than uh, uh, some of the more prairie areas. And uh, just uh, since I was, as long as I can remember, I was in the third grade, we went to Colorado. First big trip my family ever took. Maybe the only one now that I think about it. But uh, the forest just um, had a, uh, a place that I enjoyed. And I just uh, have always enjoyed being there when I had the opportunity to go in the forest group. That seemed like a no brainer. Well, and you, you touched on that, Howard, as far as, uh, you know, we think of Kansas and, you know, a lot of times you don't think of woodlands in Kansas. You don't think of forests and managing forests. So, you know, what's the perception you get sometimes, Roger, from your neighbors? What, what do they think of these projects? What, you know, in the community, you know, do you get some feedback or do you get any type of input from your neighbors as far as? Oh, problem? yeah. It, in fact, uh, interestingly, uh, two neighbors, I think Howard is uh, working with one just across the creek west from us where we put in the riparian buffer. Um, I think they've had Howard come out now and, and uh, look at the uh, woodlot on their side. They have significantly more uh, woodlot on the west side of the creek than I've got on my side. And so just, just because the way it was has been managed historically. And so they are uh, working with Howard already, and then another neighbor to the southwest of us a couple miles, I see that he has tree tubes out there along the creek you know, at his place also. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, they, uh, you know, they, they didn't necessarily come and, and uh, look at mine and ask me what I did. I think that they just saw that and uh, got a hold of Howard. Now, I, I will have to say that there is another neighbor uh, very close that uh, they saw the, the tree tubes in amongst uh, the already existing woodlot and uh, talking to him one day and he said, well, what, what in the world is all those tubes out there? I said, well, you know, we, we took out and they had the forestry people kill the, uh, the low value trees and we planted some uh, new bur oaks and pecans and such. And he looked at me quizzically, he said, you're planting trees among the trees? <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, didn't, he didn't quite understand the concept until I explained to him that not every tree is created equal. You know, there are some that are a high value, either 
commercially at some point or wildlife you know values and others that have low value such as honey locusts and osage orange and after i explained to him he understood that okay well okay not not every tree is equal i see that there may be method to your madness of planting trees among the trees <laughs> around uh, America and I had a couple of people say I'm not, I like to do what Roger's doing over there. I saw his tree tubes there and I, I realized he's planting trees. I, I'd like to try that. So he has definitely uh, brought new people into the fold. Yeah, I, I mention it to people every time I get a chance. And uh, we have lots and lots of woodlots up and down the Neosho River and the tributaries of the Neosho that have such low value. And now with cost share programs that are available, that's it's the investment on the landowner's part is really not that much. And when you can hire excellent uh, folks like Ryan Nysis and Ecotone Forestry, I mean, I didn't have to get out there and run the chainsaw and all that, I said, okay, you, you guys, you're the professionals, and they could get it done in the in the length of time that it took me to get ready and think about it. You know, <laughs> they had it completed, and so with those opportunities, I I tell people all the time, you need to get a hold of Howard and Forest Service or you know somebody, and you know, take care of your forest land. So now you can all see why we uh, found Roger as an advocate for our Water Quality Advocate Network. It's, you know, that peer-to-peer -peer outreach and way to reach people. Do you see a lot of that throughout just, uh, you, you find little pods of people, you know, kind of spreads, Howard, you know, as you uh, get requests, you get one person and then the interest kind of rises in that area. Is that kind of how you see a lot of your calls happen? Yeah, in uh, some counties more so than others. Uh, Marion County in particular, I've had uh, one neighbor right after another just marching right down to some particular stream course. Um, they just uh, see what's going on, they ask about it, and some of them are very good at it because some of them, you know, say, hey, I just had it done. Some of them, like Roger, can explain why they're doing it and what the benefits are. I think that's a lot of what I see or hear is, you know, a lot of people don't realize like what Roger was talking about with contractors and the different ways to accomplish some of these goals and, and then why to even manage woodlands. I think that's one of the things we see a lot in Kansas. And so kind of creating that advocacy out there. As we think on that, um, what advice would you give to landowners who are looking to implement these practices on their land? Um, well, how to start? I know you've kind of touched on some of those topics, but you know, as you um, just kind of reaching out to people that maybe aren't in your area, what's what advice would you have to get started? We'll start with you, Roger, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, from my point, it's, there is a lot of help out there for you. Um, very, very few people, and, and even myself as a wildlife biologist, are not uh, intimately familiar with uh, all the forest management practices. So where you start is contacting the Kansas Forest Service, folks like Howard, uh, Kansas Wildlife Parks and Tourism, 
and get their biologists out there also, get Howard out there, step into your NRCS office and explain what you want to do. There, all you got to do is contact one of those entities and they'll get you started down the right path. And if they are not, let's say it's the, the district wildlife biologist for wildlife and parks and, and who I work with a lot too, and a lot of other, this is just a piece of the projects <laughs> that we've worked on on the place. But uh, if I talk to them and say, hey, you know, we got these woodlots down here that we really need to do something with. Well, if they are not the individual, they know who is, know who to get a hold of. And so that's where you start. Just any of the agencies, talk to them and they'll get you started down the right path. Yeah, Roger's right. I, I get referrals from from the NRCS and from uh, Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism and from uh, agencies that don't have anything to do with uh, um, conservation. It's just people just talk to them uh, and, and vice versa. I've referred people to uh, the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism uh, private land biologists and to NRCS or FSA, depending on what type of uh, um, cost share would best suit them. So if a landowner calls you, Howard, how, take, a, take them kind of through that process. I know, um, you know, it depends on what their goals and what their uh, priorities are, but how does that process kind of look um, when they give you a call? When somebody calls me, I will set up an appointment with them to go visit their property and, and look at um, what they need based on what their desired goals are, uh, whether it be for wildlife habitat improvement or they're looking at commercial timber or soil and water uh, quality improvement uh, or all the above. Uh, I've had everything, but I will look at their properties they may have more than one place they want to look at uh, and uh, I make recommendations based on their goals of what work would be best to start moving toward that desired future condition and after we agree on what we're going to do all right and manage a plan that's kind of a cookbook on how to get there what they need to do to get started on that process for the first 10 years and give them uh, recommendations on who else to talk to if, if uh, need be. Like for instance, for cost share, I usually refer them to NRCS, National Resource Conservation Service. Uh, they have a real good program for um, uh, environmental quality incentive program for forest land health. And they give a very good um, uh, equip, what they call equip contract for cost share, uh, they work with NRCS for that, and then they'll work with me to actually um, start implementing the project. You know, and, and I might them. add that ahead, the the, the, um, the plan that Howard prepared for us, you know, the first first plan involved just some work here. Uh, on my place and uh, and uh, Diana BJ's, our daughter and son-in-laws, but it is a, a dynamic document that can be 
amended and added to because uh, three, it was three years ago when we did our first planting, or I guess is two years ago, they're going into the third growing season, these trees. <clears throat> but, you know, we had that project. And then later, last year, I wanted to add to it and plant this little one acre area that just flooded all the time. And so Howard did not have to write a complete new management plan. It just updated the one that we already had. So it's really, it's a, a kind of a living and dynamic document that can be added to, modified as time goes along and as your interest or you know, management goals change. Yeah, so kind of what I'm hearing is you have to almost take it step by step. Um, I know sometimes, you know, if you get a really ambitious landowner like Roger and he comes and wants to do all these different projects, how do you, you know, you have to take it step by step in that living, breathing document. Is that kind of what you guys are alluding to is, you know, take it project by project? What people have to be aware of is, is it's, it's, it's not a quick process. It takes years. You know, you're, you're looking 20, 30, even 50 years down the road to finally attain the goals that you're wanting to in most cases. Uh, some of it, can be can be quick when you go in and do a, a thinning and release your walnuts and oaks and hickories and they get an immediate release but if you're wanting to get regeneration established underneath them that may take a few years and it may take a couple of cuttings to actually get what you want and then by the time those seedlings grow up and something looks like a tree there's another 20 years of thinking that you're looking at yeah, and I, you're right, Howard, and I might also suggest or warn people that uh, don't bite off too much all at once. You know, had, had we taken on and planted in the first year all of the trees that are currently in the ground from these two years of planting, I would not have been able to keep up with it. It was, I mean, I went through two years ago we went through the drought in the summer we went long time in the summer with no rain and it did take about six thousand gallons of water and watering these trees uh, every couple weeks at least sometimes every week when it was really hot and dry and to have added another 250 trees to that well some would not have survived and so I would suggest, you know, it, it's a long-term process. Take on what you think you can handle each year and, you know, just continue to work uh, through the years. And, and it is, I mean, understanding we are planting trees. <laughs> this is not like corn. They're going to take a while. And I, I'm, I may not even live to see the first burr oak acorn come off of these trees that we planted. But as I tell my, my kids, you know, it's the old saying, one generation plants the tree, the next generation enjoys the shade. And so you gotta start someplace, but don't try to take on the whole project, even if it's a big project, all at once, better spread it out. 
I mean, Roger, you've, you have lifetime of conservation work. You've been working on this property for you know, years. Um, I know a, lot, a big part of what you have is kind of your legacy of your family. Um, I know your family is very involved in conservation work. But what, what's kind of your end goal with this property? What, what, what's your, you know, what, what's the, the final project? Or, you know, how are you going to work towards that end goal? Well, we, and as I mentioned before, this, what we're doing here on the woodlands, woodlands is just a small piece of what we're doing on, on the land. Uh, the family, our, our, our place is pretty small compared to my neighbors. We only have about 450 acres here. And the whole goal is to improve the grasslands. I mean, I, I don't have any crop ground on the place, it's, it's grass. And so we're, we have projects going to improve the rangelands and improve the forest lands, uh, improve the water. We have a 17 acre watershed lake uh, that we manage the fisheries in. Uh, on the grazing lands, we have um, added a, a solar pump, solar panels and three stock tanks and gone from a three pasture rotation grazing system to a nine pasture system to, to try to improve the, the grasslands and rangeland. I would, uh, trying to, you know, on part of the farm that our daughter and son-in-law have, it's managed exclusively for wildlife. So we're doing the appropriate burning and wildlife food plots. And, and yes, we like to hunt. So I've planted some dove plots and, and uh, lots of uh, food plots for wildlife. And we plant some, some deer plots, you know, and just and improving the grasslands there also. So it's just a, a complete overall package to try to improve the land. And my wife and I's goal is then to pass it on to our kids and grandkids in better condition. Because I'll have to tell you, when, when we first bought this place back in 1985 or 86, the first time I walked out across what was supposed to have been a native rangeland, I could not find native grasses and the pastures were covered with Osage orange and honey locust. You could drive a pickup through, but just barely, you know, so bad. And so we cleared all those out, took those invasives off the rangeland, and uh, through the years of just trying to do a better job of managing all of the natural resources on the place so that we can pass them on to our kids and grandkids in a whole lot better condition than what we found them in. Well, and we, we, I know we want to share that example, um, you know, when we do our forestry field day, the agroforestry field day, and um, be able to visit Andy Shee Farms, named after each of his three daughters, and, and you know, see that legacy that the Wells family has uh, left up for their property. Um, we're coming towards the end here, guys, and so um, I'd like to say, um, Thanks so much for Roger and Howard for taking the time to join us today. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, be sure to follow the Kansas Forest Service on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to see photos and videos from Roger's farm. And we'll be sharing those as we uh, advertise for the next fall or spring 
uh, agroforestry field day. So, thanks, guys. Okay, well, we'll see you guys. Okay. Yeah, Bye. thanks for joining Bye. us, especially see last minute like this. So. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Howard. Yeah. Next time video. Bye.